This is Emmanuel Today, taking steps toward God's possible in your life. It's now time for you to sit back and prepare for insights on your walk with Christ. Let's join today's message right now. All right, all right, all right. Good morning, Emmanuel. How many of you love Jesus today? You love him? That's pretty good. I love it. I want to give a big shout out to Maple Grove, Elk River, Lakeville. Those joining online in Spring Lake Park, those joining online today could be a kitchen or it could be a tree stand. We're not sure, but thank you for being a part of the Emmanuel family today. Uh, I have a couple things I want to talk about before I dive into our message today. First of all, next week on our Miracle Offering Day, we have Hal Donaldson, the founder of Convoy of Hope. Convoy is uh, on the front lines of disaster relief around the world. Every major thing that you see, whether it's an earthquake, a hurricane, or something happens in any given area of the world, Convoy's on the front line. And there are partners, and we, we give and we pray. And the founder is going to be with us next week, so I'm super excited about that. And I'm praying that uh, right along with Jody and I as we pray, God, what do you want to give through our family and uh, we can look at what we have and do the math, and then we can also say, Lord, what do you want to do? And I'm asking you as a church family to do the same thing, just to pray, and then only do what God tells you to do, and that lines right up with what we've been talking about in this whole series. The title of our series is Fuel, because we're looking at what fuels us, and we've looked at the fact that Jesus is fueled by whatever the Father tells him to do. And so we want to be fueled by that same thing. We want to be fueled by it. Second thing I want to mention before I dive in to my message is I have a name tag God. I've never worn a name tag when I've preached at Emmanuel Christian Center. So uh, the reason I wore it today is because I have been telling everyone, hey, wear what you wear to work to church today, and uh, we want to honor and pray for your work world, and, uh, and so we've seen different people. Some of them have reflective uniforms on and the things that they go to school with, and uh, there are other things. Some of you are like, oh, shoot, I forgot to do that. Uh, that's okay. I just want to honor you. I'm wearing a name tag today. Reflecting on uh, all of our lives is so much more than what we see in the room right now. In fact, the majority of our life is outside of the church, outside the building. And, uh, and I'm excited because at the end of the service today, we're going to have a special prayer for you and the place that God has called you or assigned you to be, whether it's changing diapers in a diaper bag at home or if it's at school or if it's in a particular place of work employment. Those are the places that God has assigned you, and we're going to have prayer in each of our locations at the end of today's service. The title of my message today is Formation. Formation. Now, I love biking. I, I love to go out on bike rides in the summertime and that kind of thing. Uh, and when I say biking, I'm not talking about Harley Davidson biking. I'm talking about the pedal kind of biking. I enjoy getting out there. And uh, one of the things that's kind of led me to is a curiosity about team cycling and, uh, and things like the Tour de France, uh, which is, you know, 2,200 miles over 23 days, 21 segments, where uh, it's grueling uh, conditions going up mountains and down mountains and through cold, wind, rain, all of the hot, everything, and these teams and how they make it. And you might look at it and go, I could never do that. And the truth is, none of us could ever do that alone, but the reality is they do it in teams of eight. And in those teams of eight, it's really cool because as I've looked into it, 
they have a strategy for how they can not only survive, but thrive as a team. And so right within those groups of eight bikers, they've learned that there are certain uh, physical uh, formations that they get in where the math works its way out and there's actually pockets of less resistance behind and lower air pressure, if you will, where you don't have to pedal as hard in the back as you do in the front, that kind of thing. And that you will see that the teams will move around as they're riding. So there's a designated point people, designated people in the front to kind of face all of the, the heavier stuff. And then there's also people behind. And I love this picture of how it all works together because there's so many parallels to the, the Christian life, of course, and being in the body of Christ and how are we gonna persevere and the, the Peloton side of things. But I was thinking about it, talking about it with our team this week, and I just realized that we've got our own Lance Armstrong, or at least not every part of Lance Armstrong's life, but the cycling part on our staff, Pastor Ben is here, and Pastor Ben has gone on several bike adventures, raising money with Speed the Light and that kind of thing, and Pastor Ben, this is your bike. That looks like a really intense bike. Like, is this one of those you have to, like, clip on? It's similar to the one that Pastor Nathan had the other week, just yeah. faster. Okay. Yeah, he, his was a little shorter. I yeah, think. this one does a little bit more of the work for you. Yeah. You get going. So now when we were talking about it this week, you were mentioning uh, kind of your exper experience and how it's developed and grown when you first started biking and the experience that you had. Why don't you share with everybody what you told me? Sure thing. So several years ago, some friends of mine and I decided we we're going to go on some long bike rides to help raise money for some missionaries, uh, one of our Kingdom Builder partners today. And when we all got into it, we didn't know what we were doing. And so we were riding in increments daily of either 50 miles or 100 miles. And the first day we ever did it, I look back now and laugh because we kind of just talked and we're like, okay, there's a group, about 15 of us. We're going to start here and we're going to end here. And so we all kind of organized that morning and we had a prayer together, you know, like, God, don't let anyone die today doing this. Um, heal our legs and our bodies. And so we went to go and we just prayed and then we took off. And it was madness because everyone just went at their own pace. So you had guys who had trained all summer just flying at the front of the pack you had people that weren't quite as strong and they were way back. And day one, I'm just gonna tell you this, it was a mess. People got lost, uh, people got lonely. They're just in the back struggling. How, how much longer am I gonna be on this bike? Uh, people got discouraged. So when we finally got to the end of the day, what should have been like an exciting, hey, we all did it, it was kinda like, mm-hmm, <laughs> we're here. And what happened was the second day was, you know, we kinda talked, but it ended up being a little bit of the same. And it wasn't until day three that everything changed in how we, how we rode. Because day three, we were, we were setting out to go, we were a few miles in, and the resistance from the wind was so strong that everybody was bothered. And nobody could ride at their full capacity. And so we kind of huddled up and we're like, hey, I've seen on TV, people ride close together. Do you think there's anything to that? And so we decided we we're gonna try riding in a formation kind of like you showed. And so I ended up riding about this far behind the wheel in front of me and just crouched down as much as I could to tuck in behind the person who was bigger than me. And I started drafting. And what happened was what was feeling impossible on my own in the group 
I wasn't working nearly as hard and I was trying to keep rhythm with their pedaling, but when I actually was going as fast as the person in front of me, I was going too fast. And so I actually slowed my pedaling down to about half the speed of the person in front of me because they were creating the draft for everybody behind them and the workload was so much easier. And what we realized that day, we never rode the same after that day, or we always rode the same, I should say, after that day. What we realized though, is the tighter we stuck together in a pack, it made it easier for everybody in the group. And when we stuck tight together in the pack, we could get the weakest rider to ride faster than they could on their own, to perform better, and we could also make sure everybody got to the finish line. So, so good, isn't that good? Thank you, Pastor Ben. Oh, when I think about all of those aspects of faith and the mission of God, it draws me into today's message. I want you to go with me to John chapter four. We've looked at it the last couple of weeks. In John chapter four, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he's talking about how he does work and how the work gets done. It says in verse 32, but Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other. Then Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me, from finishing his work. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest, but I say, wake up and look around. Turn to the person next to you and say, wake up and look around. <laughs> so Jesus says, I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages, and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. You know the saying, one plants and another harvests, and it's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others had already done the work, and now you will get to gather the harvest. Now, Jesus reframes what we see and what we expect. He's trying to get his disciples to see things the way he sees them. And the expectations fit that sight. And he says that fuel, or his fuel, comes from his obedience to God the Father. We've talked about this in previous messages, this series about how when we follow underneath the Father, he provides what we need. When you're obedient and you follow his ways, he gives you the fuel to to perform the purposes that he's given for your life. And then the mission is all about people. This is the thing that gets missed in this particular passage that I want you to catch. Jesus is very clear that the harvest isn't bigger houses, that the harvest isn't more personal acclaim, that the harvest isn't just having more and more vacations, the harvest isn't getting more popular, the harvest is people. Because his focus is on people. He cares about those people. So today, I want to give you three essentials to staying in Jesus' Peloton formation. I just think that today that we can see how he's going to help us out. The first thing is this. You matter. If you're going to jump into Jesus' mission, you got to recognize that you matter, that it's not just someone else and somewhere else, somebody else's responsibility, but that you matter. 
Every person has a role on his team. And Jesus has purchased us and brought us onto his team. And he's serious about reaching people and intentional about involving his team in his mission. Look at Matthew chapter 9. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus is speaking. And he says, when he saw the crowds, or the text says this, he had compassion on them. Because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into his fields. Friends, I want you to know Jesus has compassion on crowds. In our day and age, we have huge chunks of people that we don't have compassion for. Anybody that disagrees with our perspective, and I'm talking about America in particular, but it's happening around the world. There's a, a demonization of populaces that's going on, where we look at other people and we have less than compassion for people. But I want you to know in the day and age where all of that is going on around us, Jesus is not like that. You see, when Jesus looks at your neighborhood, he has compassion on your neighborhood. When Jesus looks at the other side of the political aisle, he has compassion for the other side of the political aisle. When Jesus looks at people at various socioeconomic statuses, you need to know that Jesus has compassion on huge numbers of people. So much so, that's the whole reason he's waiting to return. What does Peter tell us? He's patient, not willing that any should perish. He's holding off his return because he cares about people who are not in church right now. So it's not just you and me that he cares about. It's people outside the church. People that have, maybe you might think they're ignorant or they've got the wrong view of the world. They might. But Jesus came to the earth because he cared about them. And he cares about you. Because none of us were worth Die, Jesus dying and going on the cross on our own. If I were Jesus, I would look at me and I'd go, nah, I'm not sure. But the scripture says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, the season of life when sin overwhelmed us and led us, that's when Jesus chose to die for us. So you and I need to understand that he chose to die for the whole world and you are important in his plan to reach the world. You belong on his team. You're not a mistake. You see, the Father knows how to utilize every person for his mission if we see ourselves as a part of his mission. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're on the team. <laughs> In other words, there's nobody here today. You can't say, Pastor Nate will handle that. How many preachers are there in the world right now? How many TV programs are there from churches in the world right now? There's plenty. They aren't all listening to preachers. Now, I hope you're listening to me right now. But my point is, Jesus wants to send you into places that they won't receive me. Because you're meant to be on the team. And how you see what Jesus sees is vital for you to stay in the Peloton and receive his benefits and persevere. You got to lean into his mission if you're going to do that. There's a thing going on in the world right now, and it's a deconstruction era. 
We're deconstructing history. We're deconstructing governmental systems. We're deconstructing just about everything. And when you go into seasons of world history where there's major deconstruction, everything gets thrown out, right? So if you critique one thing, that means everything about it is wrong. The old phrase used to be, and I don't think it's politically correct anymore, is you throw the baby out with the bathwater. In other words, you're missing the point. The whole point is, is to see people. And with this deconstruction phase, what's happening is it's kind of swept its way into the church amongst people that are Christians or people that are somewhat Christians or people that are church people or somewhat church people. And it's kind of worked its way in where our beliefs are more a la carte than they are Bible. So I believe that Jesus loves the whole world and he cares. Jesus loves me, right? I believe that part, but I don't believe in hell. And in the deconstruction of faith, what's going on right now is people have removed hell out of the equation. And when you remove hell out of the equation, you remove Jesus out of your life. Nobody talked about hell more than Jesus did. You look at the scripture, you go anywhere in the Bible, no one brought up hell more than Jesus. You think he knows what he's talking about? Why did Jesus talk about it? It was such a powerful, motivating force that Jesus left the comfort of heaven to go to the earth to live amongst people who didn't get it. And he lived amongst people who were murdering and hurting people. And there was, there was uh, injustice in that age, just like there's injustice in this age. And by the way, you can change every political system in the world, every economic system in the world, and the human heart will not change without Jesus. So what we have is Jesus has this compelling force saying that, hey, listen, it is important that I come to the earth. And not only that I come to the earth, but his entire life he knew he, he was destined for the cross, that he had to die on the cross for our sin. If he didn't die on the cross for our sin, the consequences of sin is death and eternal punishment in hell away from the Father. So it was so critical to Jesus' life that he came and he gave up his life for you and me. So when you remove hell from the equation, you remove Jesus from the equation. It is important for you to see it, friends. We're not dealing with just classifications of good people and bad people in the world. We're looking at everyone is a sinner. Some of them are saved by Jesus and others need to be saved yet. His mission was crystal clear. Crystal clear. In fact, in Luke 19, 10, he says, for the son of man came to seek and save those who are what? Lost. So to understand Jesus' mission requires a perspective of heaven and hell. No one talked about it more than him. And there is no mission without recognizing this reality. Now, friends, I want you to hear me. Look up from your notes on the Emmanuel Eminem or whatever you're looking at. There is no mission without recognizing this. And one major sign of a Christian who has drifted 
from the mission is that we lack urgency to see lost people rescued from the penalty of sin. When we begin to pray more about how we're going to get money for Christmas presents than we do about people who are away from Jesus, something is missing inside of us. The entire book of Hebrews was written to an audience of Christians who are deconstructing their faith. If you want to read something, read the book of Hebrews, this letter that was several decades after Jesus had ascended and people had been living for Jesus for a while. Then they began to abandon their faith. They were going back to Judaism and returning and moving away from Christianity. And that's why in that entire book, there's a heavy focus on who Jesus is and what he was about because we need him. And then there was this strong pull for individuals to remember that they are on the team, that you're on the Peloton team, that you need to get back. Don't disconnect yourself. Listen, in this era, I know there are people right now that perhaps you're listening to the tree stand or whatever else, or you're, you're disconnected. You haven't been to church for six months and you're just like, I'm just an online person now. Some people are like that. I get it. Some people are shut in and they're, it's a real thing. But there are a huge category of people that have not gone back to any church. And I just want you to hear me that in this season of life, you need to read Hebrews and recognize that you need to get back on mission. It's not about whether or not you like church services. It's about you being connected to the body. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 says, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. That's we is plural. For God cannot be, or God can be trusted to keep his promise. Can I get an amen to that? Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Three essentials to staying in Jesus' Peloton formation. Number two, the team mission is outside the walls of the building. The place where it's going to happen, the mission is not in the service. It's outside of the building. You think it's for here, but it's for there. Say that with me. You think it's for here, but it's for there. Turn to somebody next to you and say, you think it's for here, but it's for there. Too much of our expectation is loaded into Sundays into church services, but the mission is out there. The people are out there. You are the salt that preserves the people around you. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter five, verse 13, you are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. Jesus essentially is talking about salt here and he's not talking about flavor. You know, Minnesota, our, our Minnesota spices are salt and pepper. We don't get too flavorful with our food in Minnesota. You go further south and they spice it up. But we're not talking about flavor here. Jesus is talking about a preserving factor. They had no refrigerators back in the day. So how do you keep meat from spoiling? You packed it in salt. When Jesus looked at the earth, again, he's looking at people, not just at harvest as in uh, plant life. He's looking at people. He said, listen, these people 
before they have me, before they have the gospel, before they've been delivered, before they've been set free, they need Christians to be salt to them. Do we need to be salty? Not the bad kind of salty. We need to be the good kind of salty. Where we need to be out there and essentially saying that saltiness is the mission. Stay on mission. Don't forget what we're about. When we get together, it's not about a bless me club. I'm grateful for all the promises in the word and all the things that straighten me out and all the things that that God does and he cares for me and his grace is sufficient. But let's get this straight. If you're a part of the body of Christ and we come together, it's not about here. It's about out there. It's about the people that aren't even in the church. It's the only organization in the whole world that exists for non-members. We aren't here for us. We're here for them. We're for, we're for our cities, for the people around us. That's why Jesus placed us on the planet. You are the salt of the earth. You're his fridge. <laughs> Turn to the person next to you. Hey, you look like a refrigerator today. <laughs> See how far that goes in your relationship, huh? <laughs> Listen, I want you to consider that Jesus sends you on assignment where he wants you to be. That he literally gives you your talents and your gifts, your career, the place you go to school. You are where he wants you to be. And he's uniquely created you to be where you are. Not everyone I know plays video games, but some of my friends do. And when they get together, they have a unique connection. They're salt to each other. Then there's all kinds of different careers. Did you know that if there was a pyramid of the top jobs in the world, pastor would not probably be one of them, right? And even in the church, I would say that would be true. Let's flip the the pyramid over, the triangle over, and recognize that there's a whole lot of different jobs. There's there's computer uh, programming specialists. There's people that are business professionals. There's people that are service professionals. There's construction workers in our church, and there are people that do all kind food service, and and some people that own their own businesses, and and some people that do uh, services where they do home health care and they take care of people. There's people all over the roadmap in the body of Christ. You have a unique unique calling from God and God assigned you to be who you are, where he wants you to be. It's not a mistake. And we know what I love. I love in the scripture. We see that, you know, God doesn't just anoint the spokespeople or the prophets, but the spirit of God anoints ordinary workers and what they do. Look at Bezalel in Exodus chapter three. It says when the, then the Lord said to Moses, look, I have specifically chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, grandson of her of the tribe of Judah. I have filled him with the spirit of God, giving him great wisdom, ability, and expertise in all kinds of crafts. He is a master craftsman, expert in working with gold, silver, and bronze. He is skilled in engraving and mounting gemstones and in carving wood. He is a master at every craft. This guy was anointed by God to work with wood. He loved to be in his garage. He was into stuff that I probably would never do. God anoints him. Did you know that God will anoint you for the work you're called to do? And the Spirit of God will move you into that. This is where the fueling takes place. It's not just on Sunday morning, but you got fuel for the work that you're going to do, the Father's business. 
Some of us need to stop complaining about changing diapers. Come on. You're about the father's business. Stop. And I, when we look at our work, it's really critical for us to recognize that our largest anointing is meant for the harvest field. It's meant for out, places out there. And we have to begin to see that our lives are connected. Our dreams must be in the world that we live in outside the church building. So how does the mission work outside of the building? We need to ask for revival outside of the building. We need to plead with God for something to happen when you run a daycare. For God to work amongst the families in the, in the daycare that, in your business. Or, or at the work that you go to. Or at the school that you're in. We need to say, God... Listen, revival happens at our kitchen table because you're raising these little kids. God, don't just move in church on Sunday, but move in my house. How you interact with the teachers with the school, all the interactions you have with, with ball teams that your kids are on, all those things, that's all God's work. 70% of recent poll, uh, Gallup poll, said that 70% of people don't like their job. And there's been a lot of people quitting jobs, isn't there? Maybe the problem isn't with who our boss is. Maybe the problem is we don't need to change our job, but maybe we need to change who our boss is. And to recognize that when we go to school or we go to work, or we go to our assignment, we're serving God the Father in his business. See, we're missing out on God's attributes as a worker. We might see him as majestic and holy and distant from real life. But when you open up the Bible, the first attribute we see is that God was creating, he was working. Six days, and then he rested. God is a God that's into work. He's into that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday space. He's into our world. And why would God want to pour out a revival or an awakening in the place where God has assigned you if you hate your job and God is a worker. You see the conflict? We need a theology of work. God is a God who works and rests. We can work and rest. We can follow him. We can follow what he wants us to do. Don't minimize the anointing down to just that's the pastor's anointing. You have a ministry with an anointing to do what God has called you to do. You have a space that God has sent you into. And by the way, it's not restricted to one space only. Throughout a lifetime, God can assign you to many different things, many different uniforms, and still you're on assignment when it comes to be Monday morning. So friends, don't resent changing diapers. <laughs> if you aren't doing it as under the Lord, you're missing out on the benefit of God's Peloton. Colossians 3.17, and whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Whatever you do, say that with me, whatever you do, we got to do it for the Father. He's my boss. I, you might not like the assignment, but you can embrace it because he's your boss. Here's the point. The outpouring of the Spirit isn't restricted to the church house. In fact, our church gatherings may be muted because we aren't connecting our lives to the harvest field that God has assigned us. You think it's supposed to happen here, but it's supposed to happen there. 
And the greatest signs and wonders aren't going to happen here. It's going to happen out there. I want you to say another phrase with me. Say, I love my job. Say, I love my job. We got to start loving and embracing the assignments that God has given us. And embrace it because we're on assignment. The third thing is this. We must listen to the Spirit just like Jesus in order to stay in formation. In other words, the rhythm of Jesus staying on mission needs to be our rhythm. Jesus was always pulling away and listening to the Father by the Spirit for his daily appointments. He got regular updates. And then he would go out through his days and you would see him touching and reaching people, even with interruptions and things he didn't anticipate and people that were haters. But he had a connection to his father that enabled him to stay on mission. Kind of reminds me of several years ago that a college friend of mine who had become a police officer um, was going to take me on a ride along. And that ride along has a huge set of stories. There were several murders that night. And I went through, I mean, it was like, I was like, I am on the TV set somewhere, you know, just overwhelmed. At one point we had to pull up. We were the first car on the scene and he had to get out and go in the building. And he showed me there was a rifle behind the, the seat. And he said, here's the button. If you need to use it, I'm like, I've never shot a gun in my life. I'm not going to, you know, I'm like freaking out. Right. Uh, but bef- and by the way, we need to give it up for the law enforcement in the communities that we have. I'm just thankful for you every day, seriously. And we need to keep praying and supporting our local people that are giving their lives up for us and supporting them. But I remember that night before we went out, um, my friend Leif uh, was an officer. He pulled me into this room and all of his fellow officers on his shift we're in the same room before we go out. And the leader of the group, I don't know if it was a lieutenant, a captain, came out and went through the orders of the day. They talked about things that had happened on the previous shift, what's going on in the neighborhoods, things that they had heard about in various communities that they would be on patrol with. And basically gave them kind of the assignment for the day. Then everybody left the room and got in the car and they went on assignment. That's the same thing we do with the Father. When we get close to the Father. We said, Father, you're sending me, maybe you're going to stay home today and you're going to be with your kids. That is not a wasted day. That's a day for you to fulfill the Father's work. So you better do your best. You better shake it off, smile at yourself and go, I can do this. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Some of you got to go get up in the morning. You're like, I'm already tired and it's not even Monday. Well, you want some fuel for your life? Get along with the Father. Let him fill you up. You might have difficult conversations going on with people that don't like you or they think different than you or whatever is going on. You can get up and have a conversation with the Father and by the power of the Spirit, you will have what you need to fuel your day. You and I need to, if we're going to stay in formation, see, what happens is when we don't connect to the Father or we pull away from the rest of the riders, now all of a sudden we're facing the same wind without all the benefits of being back with the rest of the body. We have to make sure that we stay in and connected. Even if it's hard, stay in Jesus' Peloton by listening to the Father.
I love what happened to the New Testament church. You know, in the book of Acts, I see it. They would gather together for prayer and then they would go out and they would change the world. And when the Spirit would give them a new assignment in the morning, they would respond quickly and say, okay. You see it later in the New Testament when Paul would write letters. He'd say, hey, there's a church over here. They're in need. And he was talking to another church and they gave to the, to the need. And then you see people giving up and selling things that they were own so that they could take care of what the Spirit was saying needed to be done at the moment. In other words, so some of them were moving to the front of the pack and others of them were moving backward because they needed a rest. But all of them were in formation and their goal was to finish the race. Acts 2.42, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. And a deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, just like we had communion today, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. And all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being what? They stayed on mission. And that's what we're doing at Emmanuel. We're praying together. We're listening to the Spirit. We're responding to the changes we need to make in formation. And whether that's serving on Team Emmanuel or giving toward King, Kingdom Builders because the Spirit is meeting our needs locally and around the world. Our ultimate dream is for the wind to come as we listen and are ready for this mission to be fulfilled. It's our time to lean into the Father and say, Father, help me stay on mission. Can I get an amen to that? Would you stand with me today? Hallelujah. Mm. I want to do something today. I said that with the name tags and you all represent a different assignment in your world, a season of time. I want you to begin to think about the world that God has assigned you to be in. It starts with the family. It moves in concentric circles of the people you interact with all the time. It could be close proximity in your neighborhood or it could be people you bump into all the time it could be the person you see at Starbucks every day or whatever it may be and then the people that you're by at work all of them are assignments and you are salt you're meant to be on mission right and then there's the broader world around us the people around us that God has called us to and not everybody's gonna like us or agree with us it doesn't matter listen not all the world agreed with Jesus. They murdered him. To stay on mission, there's a cost to it. All right? And it means we still love the people. We still have compassion for the crowds. But we don't have fear about our lives. Because Jesus is going to be with us. Amen? And here's what I want you to think about your responsibility. I want you to put your hands out like this. And keep your eyes open. Usually you like close your eyes immediately. So I got to stop. You know, open your eyes. I want you to look in your hands now, and I want you to see snapshots of all the people that you are on assignment to, the people that you work with. Maybe it's your children in your home. Maybe it's your next door neighbor. The people that God has assigned you to be salt. Do you know that many of those faces, if not most of them, are not in my hands. They're in yours. 
God has assigned you to be around them. Even the people that are family that maybe have walked away from God, prodigal sons and daughters, they're still in your hands, okay? And here's the beauty. That's our responsibility. That's where Jesus has called us to be. That's the harvest field. He said, pray to the Lord of the harvest and he sent forth laborers. You know who the laborers are? You and me. We have to respond and say yes to what he's saying. And the first step in is to say, yes, Lord, I see myself is on mission on your team. I see it. I'm supposed to be there. And then you partner with him in rhythm. So I want you to take those photos and lift them back up to heaven right now. And out loud, I want you to just begin to pray for them. Say, Lord, I, I just received the mission for these people. I care about them. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to live. I don't know what to do. But Lord, I come before you and I need your help. I need yours. I need the Holy Spirit. I need the power to live the way you want me to live. I need, to, I need you to assign me and step in and be with me. I pray, God, Lord, on behalf of our church right now, we're not praying for this room. We're praying for people outside the building. We're praying for the harvest. We pray, God that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done. That, Lord, many, many thousands of people would come to faith in 2021 and 2022 simply because, Lord, you, we're doing what you said to do. Lord, give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. We want to be responsive. We want to stay in the Peloton formation. We want to lean in and be a part of the team that you have. Help us not be distracted. Help us not leave the pathway or the mission, but help us to lean in and stay on mission. We pray in Jesus' name. We need your help, oh God. We need your help. We lift these fa families. We lift these individuals before you. And we say, oh God, would you come and show mercy? Would you show your compassion? Lord, would you remember them, oh God? Would you open their eyes? Oh Lord, would you, Lord, lead them to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to Emmanuel Today. To learn more about the many ministry opportunities we have throughout the week, be sure to check out emmanuelcc.org.